Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone out there who wants to find me on Instagram and social media, that's at Justin Bizarro. And you can find the podcast Justin the Food Entrepreneur's on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, today, I have with us Rusty Bowers of Pine Street Market from Avondale Estates, Georgia. How are you doing today, Rusty? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be back. Yeah, so anyone in the audience who doesn't know, Rusty was on the podcast actually almost exactly a year ago. Uh, it was oh, wow. back on February 1st, uh, two or 2019, uh, episode 5. So Rusty was one of the, um, I think you were actually the third interview podcast we did. So you were one of the OGs on the podcast. Oh, that's an honor. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. so it's pretty cool. And um, I just think it's really cool um, what you guys have done since then. And, and we talked a little bit about Flavor of Georgia back then and then got to see mm-hmm. you at Flavor of Georgia uh, last yes. year, which was awesome uh, with your bacon jam product. Yes. And there's a lot of other things going on. So I sort of just want to dive deep into um, your progress and where you've come since then. So, but first give everyone a quick background on yourself again, just to update everyone okay. in case they haven't listened to episode five. Uh, so I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida and started cooking, I guess in 92 or 93 at resorts in Florida, resorts and fine dining restaurants and quickly realized that everybody in the world has to eat. So sold my car, moved to Maui, worked for there for like a year. So I took that money, went to Eastern Europe and the Middle East for about 18 months, working in Austria and Turkey, and then came back with a little bit of help from my parents, went to Culinary Institute of America up in New York, and then moved to Atlanta to work for a fine dining restaurant and quickly realized um, my, that wasn't really my passion. And so around that time, met Wes and Charlotte with Riverview Farms up in Ranger, Georgia by Rome. And um, understanding that back in 2007, 2008, nobody was buying or no one was really selling humane meat, especially local humane meat at a grocery store level. So that kind of sparked the beginning of Pine Street Market. So we just turned 11 years old uh, back in December. And so it's been a, a good ride. And um Yesterday was our one-year anniversary for Chop Shop, the store that I co-own with Riverview Farms in uh, Midtown Atlanta. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about when you say humane animals. What what are you saying there? Just I want to define right. it for the audience because I, I like the way you phrased it versus some of the other marketing terms that are out there. That's a truer term, in my opinion, to what actually goes on. Absolutely. So. Humanely raised meat to me are uh, animals that are um, treated fairly, treated appropriately, not treated like a pet. Um, I get I get uh, kind of hot under the collar about the debate of outdoor chickens versus chickens that are inside and protected, which is a whole nother topic. But um, humanely raised meats, meaning that um, they're they're out they're their feet are on the ground. They're um, not on concrete. They're they're um, non GMO feed that they're. Uh, there's passion and care and not only how they're raised, but also how they're harvested that um, uh, we want to know that the animal never felt pain and never saw it coming. And so that the way they're harvested to me is as important as the way they're raised. Yeah. So um, let's, I want to actually talk about that a little bit because um, if you don't mind is the pet versus the food. 
um, right. and, and the debate, and you talked about getting hot under the collar a little bit. So let's really dive into it from your perspective, because you are Absolutely. the butcher. You're the person, right. you know, what Pine Street Market does is butchering, you know. So let's talk about the perspective from your your standpoint. I, I know that um, a lot of people disagree with my viewpoint on it, and that's fine. Um, and that's wonderful. And that's the way that they can feed their families and run their companies. But, um, the way the, what I feel is if you've got, let's say a hundred thousand chickens outside in the field, you are going to have a coyote problem, a bald eagle problem, uh, whatever problem, um, coyote, you know, wolves, um, those, uh, chicken cannot protect itself. It can't fly. It doesn't have sharp teeth. It doesn't have claws. That chicken, just like me, I don't want to be outside where I'm surrounded by scary animals. I want to be inside a safe room to where there's air conditioning, plenty of feed. Um, we work a lot with Springer Mountain Farms chicken, and that is the only chicken that I'll use. It's even the only chicken that um, I'm looking at our little cockapoo right now. I have, every week I boil two Springer Mountain chicken and in that water cook her brown rice, peas, and carrots chop the chicken with a little bit of Springer chicken liver, mix it back in there. And that's her food every day. But, um, I know that their chickens are safe. I know that their hoop houses, if it can hold 90,000 chickens, they've got 30,000 in there and you go in there, there's not a weird smell. The chickens are safe. And I think a lot of people to get over their guilt of eating meat want to go, Hey, look at that. You know, that chicken's outside playing kickball and <laughs> lives this beautiful, fun life. And his name was Carl. And you're like, you, you don't have to. There's there's a point where our carnivore guilt exceeds the, the growth of a good, humane piece of meat. And if you're that chicken was only born to be consumed, it wasn't born to be on a poster. It wasn't born to be out running by side your dog and, and, you know, being a pet. It was born to be consumed. And it uh, having good discussions with Charlotte and Wes um, about that as well, about. How do you justify like like our, the dog I just talked about? How do I justify my love of that dog versus I'm OK with that pig that I may field dress or, you know, have we got uh, we just got five pigs and a, a boar from Riverview a few minutes ago. How, how do I justify my feeling about that versus my love for my dog? And it's one's a pet and another one was born and raised to be consumed. So to me, it's it's understanding that difference and understanding you don't have to if you you know it's a healthy humane animal you have to raise it to just i don't know just like vegetables you wouldn't plant your vegetables inside your house you would be outside in the field and you've got to look at food as food yeah and uh one of the things that i um i want to touch upon is sort of we all eat and we all right. drink drinks and and whatever but we all have our preferences and if those preferences weren't popular amongst groups of people, there wouldn't be the businesses to supply them because businesses are built out of finding solutions or, or, um, taking a need and, you know, fulfilling that need. And so whatever your, the perspective is, I mean, obviously there's a group of people that are like you in the way that you eat or similar, right. and then you choose to do it. And if there's enough, there's a business around it. So, trying to get people to do one way or the other, it's kind of an interesting concept. Like, you know, as a business, you know, I would prefer locally grown and, and, and being sustainable going through our facilities. Right. I think that that's right. the right thing to do, but that's my opinion. 
And I, you know, and not all of my clients want that food or care about whether or not it's organic or whatever. They just want to do a good product and, and their clients, I mean, and their customers don't care whether it's organic or not. And so it's one of those things where no matter how much I see it that way, and I want to be true to myself, I do also understand that my clients have customers that are loyal to them in the way that they eat. So it's right. hard because you want to make the world a better place and you want to have the animals humanely um, um, handled. I think that that's the important part. And then from there, like you said, it do, if they're in a chicken coop or they're outside, it starts getting debatable. You know, what is the right. best life for that for that animal? And it's like, you know, here in Colorado, we had, you know, five coyotes running around our property for months uh, for whatever reason we're now down to one but oh, wow. um you know whether they split off but they all came with a mother there was a mother and five cubs or whatever they're called Yikes. yeah and they were running around well we have a cocker spaniel you know that dog is not going to stand a chance against five coyotes right yeah so what do i do i keep him inside or if i go right. outside he's not off the leash right now with coyotes running around like that's just not right. going to happen and you can do all you want to try to scare them away and, you know, shoot them or whatever you want to do. But the regardless, if the coyotes are going to come around, they're looking for food. And right. whatever it is, whether it's rabbits, chickens, you know, that's what they're going to come, come around. And unless I wanted a whole fleet of dogs, you know, <laughs> that right. are massive, that would not, you know, would cause some living issues for myself and, and Deborah and the kids, then, you know, I can't deal with it. So... I think having an open-minded perspective is important, um, just like anything else in life. We all differ and we all have different opinions. But when we run our businesses um, as entrepreneurs like yourself, we get to choose how we want to bring that forward. So debating with us, it's like one of those things. I, I want to hear your point and please, uh, you know, I want everyone to have their opinion. I think we're entitled to it. Right. Um, and I think it's good for discussion, but at the end of the day, as a, an entrepreneur, we're servicing clients because that's what they want, our customers. And so, you know, it's one of those things where it's great that you're having the argument with me as the owner of the business, but I'm satisfying a need of all these customers. So it's exactly. more than just yeah. me, you know? Right. So it's one of those things if we really take a step back and think about it altruistically, um, what is the best for everyone and, and how do we do it? And, you know, at some point you can't force people to do something, you know, it's just like their job, you know, you're not going to tell an engineer to suddenly become a chef, you know, right. I'm not going to tell a vegan to suddenly be a carnivore. It's just not going to happen. Right. So it's the same idea. Um, but let's dive into the, the story about the boar, because I, we were talking about oh, it sure. earlier, um, and you just had a boar show up at you, but I like this story. And just really quickly, the Riverview Farms episode was episode 71, where we talk with Charlotte um, from Riverview Farms. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode, that's episode 71. But so, Rusty, give us a little, um, you know, tell us the story about the boar, because I think it's important, one, sure. because it talks about the freshness of the product, but two, it talks about the cycle that we were just discussing, uh, one humanely and two, the purpose of the animal. Well, I'll, um, cause working hand in hand with, uh, Riverview farms is one of the, I mean, one of the cornerstones of what we do to where, uh, 
it's that it it doesn't really dawn on people until you, you phrase it correctly, but you can't go out in the field and if a chef says, Hey, I need I need one ham, Riverview can't go out in the field and cut a leg off a pig and the pig <laughs> runs away. You've got to move that whole pig. Yeah. And so that's where we really have we originally developed, you know, um over ten years ago, started to develop our relationship to where um we would get kind of the the, the lesser used cuts and now it's kind of they their customers have stepped up, their chefs and retail customers and the chop shop as well, to where we're able to just primarily just get the whole animals in. Sometimes there'll be like extra bellies or extra shoulders. But um I think the best example of that is that boar. So uh Wes will call me and uh disclaimer is a little gruesome. Um but Wes will call me and he'll be out in the field with a twenty two and he'll say, Hey, I'm looking at a boar and it you know, this is a boar who's not doing his job. He's not breeding anymore. He's just consuming a lot of food and just being angry and knocking down fences or trees and you know, all that testosterone. Yeah. Um so he's looking at that boar holding the twenty two and he'll go, Hey, can you can you take a boar this week? And I'll go, Yeah, and hang up and I know exactly what happens next. That boar is harvested in the field and then taken to the processor. Um, but I love that. I love that an animal that has, has no longer doing their, their purpose on the farm and, you know, farm life is not, not easy. It's not highly profitable. So if this animal is just hanging out every day, eating food and being a jerk, he's got to go. So it's just so neat that they can just be like, can you take this boar? The answer is always yes. Cause we can do whiskey, brine, boar steaks, boar salami, um, rosemary smoked boar sausages, like all these wonderful things with it. So absolutely we can take it. But that it, I just really, I like that there's a use for us. Like a, in, in that moment, it's like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this boar. It's not only going to stop costing me money. It's going to, we're going to make money with it and honor its life. Go. So I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And one of the things that I really love that you talked about is even in the boar scenario is being able to use the whole animal, I don't think right. we realize, you know, when you go to a grocery store, you have these cuts of meat, but no one realizes that you need to use the whole animal. I think one of the greatest things that happened to chicken was chicken wings, but now the demand for chicken wings is more than the right. other parts of the chicken, so right. it throws off the scale a little bit. But what happens is, and we run into this in our business all the time, our customers only want certain cuts of, of beef, or they only want ground beef, or they only want this right. cut, and then... But it'd be better if we bought the whole cow, you know? So it's like, how do you, you know, how do you get people to transition over to those other items? And that's what you're doing, which is if you can find a way to get people to understand that all parts of the animal are good, um, it's pretty cool. And I know in parts of South America, they use every part. Like they stuff the intestines and they do blood sausage and they do Mm -hmm. all these things. And it's actually very good, you know? But it's the willingness to try it. So, right. you know, on one hand, we can worry about whether how the animal's raised or whatever. And I think humanely, no matter what it is, indoor or outdoor is the right way to do it. But on the other hand, we should also argue that we shouldn't waste the animal. We need to figure out in in the way we shop and are as consumers that we need to be more fami- familiar and efficient. Or what's the word I'm looking for? More familiar and more dedicated to going into the grocery store and getting those other parts of of the animal because that is the Absolutely. responsible thing. This animal is raised to be food. We should make use of its entire um, 
uh, meat that's on it because mm-hmm. wasting it, you know, like that's where it's, we go wrong. And right. it's and like, it's so, yeah, it's so disrespectful and so costly to waste it. Yeah. And I think our, our goal, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Our goal at Pine Street Market is at the end of the day, you can lift a 55 gallon trash can with two fingers because it should just be spent packaging or, or paper towels or things like that in there. It shouldn't be usable meat or bones or skin. All of that needs to be sold. All of that needs to go. So it, we really, we've got a great infrastructure. We've got some uh, wonderful ramen restaurants, uh, Salary Man and Ramen Station that use up all of our leftover bones, skins, and heads that we can't get, that we don't wind up processing. But we use every single part of that animal. Well, and one of the things I wonder is, and and I love this too, because now we're seeing like bone broths is becoming a big thing. So even the bones of the animals are being used and not burned. And like, we should do that. Like, I know at some point you're going to have to get rid of some waste from the animal. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not thinking we're going to eat a hoof or something. But there's probably ways we can become more efficient with it. I hear people making soap, and there's these ways Mm -hmm. that we're getting rid of things. Okay, so what's the humane thing to do? Okay, it's raised properly. What's also the humane thing to do is make sure his life wasn't wasted. And that if we're going to have animals to eat, that we also use their other parts of their body to live off of our fine, efficient ways. Why use something that's chemical or artificial when we have these animals that we can get it from? Um, to make soap or, or whatever it is. So, you know, when we start thinking that way, um, we start finding a lot more solutions and we're more efficient. There's less pollution, there's less waste, there's less energy wasted. There's less mistreatment of the animals because we know we have to use their entire body and therefore you're more humane in the way you raise them, understanding they're still for food. And, um, I really just, I like what you guys are doing and, and I like your philosophy, which is why I love having you on the podcast. So thank you. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the chop shop, um, the partnership with Riverview farms. Cause like we sure. said, it was about a year ago, you opened up chop shop ATL, um, mm-hmm. or Atlanta for those who don't know what ATL stands for. And tell <laughs> us a little bit about what that journeys like because you've already opened pine street market so you have some experience but now you're going into a partnership with riverview farms who happens to be the same guy wes who's the guy who calls you when there's a boar available as an example so let's dive into that okay um so it was just after valentine's day when we opened so i has been it was a year ago yesterday um it it's been it's been really interesting and um, challenging and both good and bad. I mean, at its core, uh, Riverview they've never had business partners. I've never had business partners, so that that alone, having to to learn how to work together and learn how to respect and the trust fall exercises you have to do by having business partners, that's been a a really great, challenging, frustrating, fun thing working with them. Um, and it's, it's going well, um, two, it's, I can't magically be in two places at once. So I've got to share our pine street philosophy and train the staff at chop shop. And we're lucky to have an amazing general manager there right now. Uh, we've gone through a few general managers in our first year and, um, we now have landed on somebody that every Friday he comes over to pine street and we have like a nice long meeting about any management issues, any customer issues. And then 
we start cutting meat. So two weeks ago, we started to explore all the cuts and the, um, the, the chuck of the, the beef, which is kind of like the pork butt of beef and pulling out different steaks and different ways to make money on that and different ways to, to grind the beef versus grinding the pork and it's different methods. And, uh, just kind of sharing my philosophy with him and my, my examples that I've picked up over the you know past couple decades on cooking and butchering. And so that's been a challenge of how do I be, how does, how do our, our shared philosophies be in Riverview, Pine Street and Chop Shop all at the same time? And then also how do we differentiate Chop Shop from Pine Street and Riverview? And so that, that's been a good challenge too, but um, it's been, it's been very eye opening. I think having two businesses is more like having three because part of my, part of my day is that drive between and that's when I can get a lot done and do things to promote both companies separately to identify. Cause if we didn't clearly define the difference between Pine street and chop shop, if I don't clearly define it, I can't tell my managers who can't tell our staff and they can't tell the customer. So if it has to start at the top. And so to me, chop shop is a, um, a beautiful meat driven market while pine street market is kind of the, that is the point of origin. That is the butcher shop. So you've got the, the two differentiate, uh, different differences, sorry. And, um, chop shop also is about to have its liquor license to open swine bar, which will be a tiny little bar on premise as well as the patio and sell beer and wine in the shop. So that'll also help as well. I love the name, the swine bar. That's that that's beverage manager came up with that. Yeah. I love that. And so let's dive a little more into the differences between the two and, and sort of how you manage sure. that because uh, it's a very in-depth thing and, and whether and in a way you're vertically integrating, right? So Riverview right. Farms supplies Pine Street Market with the meats, but right. Chop Shop uh, receives a, the meats from Pine Street Market. So yeah. our logo is a circle to represent that full circle farming is what we call it. Yeah, and I love this comp. Um, this concept because it's the, you know, you want to grow a business. You want to, you know, people are like, oh, I need more stores. Okay, sure. And that's true in some cases. But the real thing you need to do is is the vertical integration because that's where the profitability is made in between. Um, right. It's those in-between stepping ons that, that take away profitability from a restaurant or from a butcher or from a farm, right? So if you actually integrate the thing like you guys have done, there seems to be greater opportunity. Um, you have more opportunity to be creative. You can sort right. of do things that are unusual because you're controlling the chain of custody of that animal all the way through for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so let's dive into that and, and sort of that concept and, and how you see that. Well, I, I see like, like chop shop has uh, a panini press. They do uh they do daily, uh, they have a meat grinder behind the counter and grind um, burgers. They do a daily burger, a pork burger, and they have all those patty and ready to go. They can grind meat to order. Uh, they've got the panini press. They've got different, uh, more, it's more of like the, it's more like Pine Street is the carpentry shop while Chop Shop is the furniture store. So it, um, it's a lot more high end, even the classes that we do. Like we'll do a cold smoking <clears throat> class or a meat, cheese, and wine class um at chop shop but at pine street we'll do the whole hog class sausage making so pine street's the the more um the rough and tough butcher shop version while chop shop is the 1300 square foot you know 
beautiful natural naturally lit store with a lot of georgia grown products and then a lot of more of the like we'll we'll always have like beef tenderloin there and chicken breast there well those are two items that won't be at pine street yeah so explain that to me a little more so are you still so you you're obviously butchering the meats at pine street but right you're you're taking it a, a level up so you're value adding into chop shop and I mean, talk to me about it's been a year. I mean, how mm-hmm. has that gone? I mean, has it become popular? Are people going in? Obviously, you're opening the swine bar. So it seems like you're starting to draw crowds and you've got interest. And now to take an additional step to add to your profitability, which is to sell alcoholic beverages. But sort right. of tell me about how you value add into Chop Shop. So Chop Shop has um, uh, my fiance Summer designed these really cool um, – like like it looks like a sushi menu, but it's the charcuterie and cheese menu. So you can go in and you check off if you want brazola or copa or speck, if you want sequachi cove or green hill or whatever cheese to go with it. And then we have some uh, handcrafted local cutting boards. You can either bring in your own board or use one of the boards there. These are things that at Pine Street you can point out what you want, but you don't have that beautiful menu and those pre-made boards. So it, it's something you would take home and assemble at home if you got it from Pine Street. Um, Chop Shop too. We have like the um, it's things are are deli case ready when they get there, but you still have like the we train the staff how to like slice the steaks, how to cut the pork chops, trim the pork bud, and there is still some like finishing butchery work there as kind of the the theater of um, you know the more high end meat driven uh, community market. So. It really, it's it's having that that idea of, we would never like post a photo at Pine Street of look at this salami and then share the same post on Chop Shop. Yeah. We want to try to say, you know, look at these these uh, hand cut beautiful steaks that we're cutting to order at Chop Shop and then at Pine Street. Like, hey, you know, we just got a side of beef in that we're breaking down, and yeah. so it's trying. It's it's a little more. A little more elegant at Chop Shop, while it's a little more uh, functional, functional and actual at Pine Street. And it's, I guess that's been uh, talking that daily with the with the employees and kind of coaching our social media people. We made sure to have two separate social media people for both businesses, so uh, the message will clearly be different because it's coming from two different people. And they have like their their certain filters they use and certain hashtags are different per location. So it didn't look like Pine Street Market version two. It's like, oh, this is a completely different concept. Yeah, I love that. And um, so on that note, you you were in dining before and, and uh, um, when you were talking about Jacksonville and then to Hawaii and all of that. But then you got into being a butcher, um, basically, and and then value added your butcher shop because we've talked about bacon jam and things like that and flavor Georgia right. before. But now you're sort of getting back into the the restaurant game, for lack of a better term, and, and into that side. I mean, are you seeing you've gained these new skills with Pine Street Market, and sure. now you're taking those new skills and applying them to some of your old skills? Would you say that that's true? Yes, and it's the flavor profiles and um, like the the classes we're doing at, at Chop Shop are more challenging to my culinary background, and so having to come up with 
you know, various sides for the meat, cheese and wine class or sauces to go with the cold smoking class, things like that. And then uh, flavor profiles of sandwiches and all that. Um, I what I'm trying to not do, which I'm consciously trying not to do is make it to where you go to chop shop and order a finished burger or barbecue plate or so people are wanting that. So we're bringing in chefs like, um, uh, the sous chef at Boca Lupo, where it's, a, a is an amazing, beautiful Italian pasta restaurant that everyone should go try. Um, he will come out and do barbacoa. So he will come out and do something that's completely not what he does every day. So he'll be there once a month on the patio cooking the food. So we have, a an Israeli chef doing uh, shawarma. We have um, some other people doing sandwich pop-ups and soup pop-ups, but trying to, trying to keep us away from accidentally stepping into that restaurant category. <laughs> and then people are like, Oh, you're a restaurant that also sells meat. Like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, you know, a, a meat driven market that has pop-up chefs to come in and do a lot of this stuff. So it's by doing that keeps us away from, stumbling in the wrong direction yeah it's like what the breweries in colorado do with food trucks it's right. like they just uh, a little bit different i would say your version's much more upscale but a little bit um you know you're trying to not define yourself but you're creating an opportunity and i love that concept by the way i think that varying the menu is so important and today and bringing in guests but sticking to your core competency and not crowd uh complicating it is is pretty great and i love this idea the pop-up thing is becoming a big deal and f to right. give the opportunity to chefs to step out of their daily life to go do something with you as a pop-up on random to challenge themselves i think that's pretty cool um, yeah because even as a chef you can get stuck into that italian pocket or french pocket to where you're like man i really want to i know i'm i'm working at a french restaurant but how badass would it be to do a taco pop-up and like hey we're here you can do it so yeah. um that's that's been fun like what because you their excitement the chef's excitement and the people that they bring to work with them like it is you can just you walk up and you're like whoa this is like high energy like they are excited to like you know play with food and be, have fun with it and meet that need of uh feeding our customers and I, and recently on the last couple episodes, we've been talking a lot about this, which is the creativity. And so if mm -hmm. you're stuck doing the same thing day in and day out, you start to get in this rut and you become less creative because you're not exercising that skill. And so right. doing something like you're talking about, it gives them a chance to be creative outside of their day to day. And in that experience, if they're creative outside of their day to day, they most likely are going to go back and now be more creative in their day to day because uh, they true. had an yeah. opportunity to do it outside of it. And it's an interesting thing that happens. We as human beings, we like habits and we like routine and that includes creativity. So you're really giving people an opportunity um, as chefs to go be creative outside of their day to day. And then hopefully... Um, in my opinion, which is great for businesses, is then take that experience and put creativity back into their business on a larger scale. I love that. Yeah. It's a great way of looking at it. So, Rusty, tell me, um, we, we, you know, we've talked about your favorite things with Pine Street Market, um, but let's talk about Chop Shop. I mean, what have been your favorite things and challenges that you sort of had to overcome in opening uh, chop shop and getting it off the ground. 
Well, part of it um, was just working uh, in the confinements of the city of Atlanta. And I, I didn't realize it's, it's one of those like you don't realize how good you've got it until you branch out. But how good I've got it with uh, the city of Avondale Estates to where I could just go walk in to the city manager's office unannounced and get something signed or completed and leave while dealing with the city of Atlanta being so gigantic and so slowed down with bureaucracy it, it's you add instead of a day you can add you know four or five weeks um that that was a challenge another part of the challenge was um people really didn't know what we were when we first opened so it, it's training people and it's we we've been very fortunate with um both riverview's customers and pine street's customers they there's a lot of trust that's been earned to where they will come up to a, a Riverview um, market booth or they'll come up to the counter at Pine Street and go, what, what's new? What's good? What should I have for dinner? And that really is like, you know, that takes years and years to build that, that trust where they're like, okay, I know that there's a certain level that everything's going to be at when I get it. So I'm going to branch out and try new things. But going into a new neighborhood and people just kind of at first were like, I'm here for a New York strip or a ribeye. And they're like, well, hold on, you know, let's, Let's talk about the world of flat irons and Denver steaks and and chuck ribeyes and uh, top sirloin and it's it's earning their trust and through sampling and through educating our employees really getting the customer to go oh okay I get it like this is about sustainable meat this isn't about the cheapest place to get a chicken breast so yeah. I now understand what's going on so through like cooking on the big green egg and through sampling and through educating the staff we really got to where the customers got educated and are now like okay cool i'm going to come in and try this unusual thing or i'm going to branch out instead of you know a ribeye per person what if i went with you know a steak florentine that i cut up at the table and fanned out and everybody grabbed slices instead of a giant steak and then kind of explaining it through that with people i love that and i think what you're doing is it's more than just food you're you're building a relationship with these people through value adding things that help them. Right. Like what a great way to build a memory instead of just, Oh, I went to the store and I got a steak and I grilled it up and I threw it on the table by differentiating the offerings and giving people the knowledge on how to do that. It becomes a memory or an experience because it's out of the routine. When things become routine, they don't, they don't stay as well in our short-term and long-term memory. Right. But when we differentiate it, those memories start to stick. And that's why people are like, oh, it's always the bad times you remember and, and, and stuff like that. But that doesn't have to be true. If you alter things still oh, right. in a good way and enjoy it, they become part of the memory, which is why I love food and beverage so much is because food and beverage is the vehicle by which we build memories. You know, we surround ourselves with it, with every interaction with our family and with our friends and with our coworkers that at some point or another, we're always eating together or drinking together. So it's, how do we not, how do we build the memories in a more positive way? You know? So I think what you're doing is that it's building those memories in the positive way. And again, I keep, there's a couple podcasts where I talk about this, but I think, when we start to see as restaurants or as butcher shops or as um, whatever we're in, that it's more than just food. We're in, in making the food good is absolutely important, but that's the bare minimum. You know, that's the, well, the basis and how do you build off it? And you're doing that. You're teaching classes and educating and help people build memories. Um, go ahead. Well, 
Well, it's, it's to me, it's been really eye-opening because having right out of high school becoming a chef, a professional chef, I, I take for granted just the, the, the secondhand or just the, you know, the knowledge that I've picked up that to me is just common sense is really not common sense. And even like in the, the whole hog class as we're cutting and explaining why I'll never sell you a baby back rib. I'll sell you spare ribs because baby backs are just a marketing ploy. Um, explaining just simple things like that or why, why a pork butt, even though it's the shoulder is called a butt and then people and what the difference between that and a ham is uh, anatomy wise really opens up people's eyes and like, Oh, I get it. Like that's why ham is dry and shoulder is chewy, or that's why you have to braise a, a baby back rib, but you can just straight up grill a spare rib and they start understanding that. And then that carries to, to build their confidence. And a lot, a lot of what we're doing. And when we talk with the, with new hires is we're here to take the fear out of meat. So a lot of people will look at that raw piece of chicken and go, I undercook it. I kill my family. I overcook it. I I just ruined dinner. So uh, we started putting out instead of recipe cards, uh, technique cards, like here's tips on how to cook chicken. Here's why you brine and how to make a brine. Here's how to cook the proper way to cook a steak. And that really builds people's confidence and, and takes that fear out. And then they're willing to kind of take a risk and roll the dice on dinner instead of saying, I've got my five recipes and that's it. They can go, oh, okay, now I'm, I'll, I'll try, you know, braising that, that Chuck eye roast or I'll, you know, whatever. And that, that's, it's been a lot of fun. I absolutely love that concept and I love the cards and what you're doing. I think that's just, it makes so much sense but it's such a value add in building the relationship with your customers and, and helping them build relationships in their home by doing things like that and having the food be better. And who doesn't love a comment when they're at home and they've cooked a yeah. really good meal and someone's like, Oh my God, mom or dad, that was really good. You know, and, and yeah. it makes you feel fulfilled because day in and day out, we're routinely cooking and feeding and, and whatever, and the kids and kids, friends, and to have that comment or that compliment is pretty yeah, awesome. Absolutely. And so you're giving people that that sort of that that ability to have that compliment or that comment, which I think is really awesome. Well, it was really early on, like uh, teaching and doing demos and doing recipes. And you, you hand somebody this, this recipe that calls for a teaspoon of thyme, and they either don't like the thyme or forgot to buy it from the grocery store. And now they're like, well, I can't make dinner. I don't have the thyme. Or the rosemary. That was a weird pun. But... uh yeah. By giving them the, yeah. the techniques, they can then be like, oh, okay, I'm not glued to a recipe. That recipe really just means sear the meat and poach it in liquid and let it go for an hour. Okay, the ingredients are the ingredients that I like, but teaching the method and the tips is what empowers them to – then their kids are like, oh, my gosh, this is a completely different way you've made salmon. And you're like, right, I learned tips, not a recipe. Yeah, and it gives them confidence because they're learning yeah. it from someone who does it for a living, right? Which, right. you know, you're passing down knowledge and educating people, which is such an important part of the experience. I don't think we do that enough as in society. We miss the opportunity to educate people or help people grow. And that's what you're doing. And I think that's immensely important because, one, you're solving a problem, which is food. But what you're also doing is you're helping people because you're bettering their lives and their relationships by helping them do that. And I think that's really really cool. Thanks. 
Um, so yeah, I'm probably going to get looked at it like that. No, yeah, um, but I think it is exactly what's going on, and and the right. loyalty there um, from a customer standpoint, because you're value adding that, and you're giving them those compliments. They're subconsciously or consciously, they're knowing they're getting it because you taught them it, and right. so that's really cool experience. And loyalty and loyal customers and repeat buyers are just so important to all businesses. So oh, definitely. I'm going to get this question, I'm sure, and I know other people are going to Google it, but I might as well ask you, because you brought it up, about the pork butt and it actually being a shoulder and why it's called a pork butt, even though it's coming sure. from the shoulder. So I am I am a history nerd. Um, I uh, love to learn about like presidential history and food history and just um, it kind of goes to that, that why question. Why is that like that and why is that? Um, so with the pork butt, uh, back in colonial times, we would take the boats back and forth to Europe. And w- to make that, that long voyage, we would need to salt and preserve meat to take with us. So you would take a squared off piece of the shoulder, which is an excellent boiling meat, and pack it in wooden barrels called butts and layers of salt. And then throughout the journey, you would boil that meat to get that salt off of it and shred it and just eat that shredded boiled meat. Um, Boston was the major shipping harbor at the time and the barrels were called butts. So that cut of meat got nicknamed Boston, Butt. I love that. And that, that is, and that's pretty amazing. And I love the yeah. tie there, but there's all sorts of things that happen like that, like hamburger. Everyone's like, Oh, it doesn't have ham in it. No, it has more right. to do with the history and its originality than actually why, why that it has ham in it. And, but it's, it's one of those things that are just so cool. And I'm sure that as a history person, and I, I, I love history. I love the fact that, you know, we can see things, especially food or, or I like military history too. We learn a lot of mm-hmm. things from it and hopefully not make the same mistakes. But right. it's um, but it's such a fascinating way to, to learn things and educate people because there's so many fun facts that just sort of come out of all of it. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, Deborah and I were just in the Netherlands and oh, wow. um, for Valentine's Day and um, f- we went to this place and everyone's you, like, you got to go here. It's Winkle 43, I think is the name. And we go there and we don't, they're like, you just got to, you got to have the apple pie. We're like, okay, so we'll go to the apple pie. But we didn't realize that the only thing this place served was apple pie all day long, you know, oh, thousands wow. of slices a day. Yeah. And all of that, but what but there was a whole history behind it and why they did it and the recipe that they used and the story and the history of it and, and where apple pie comes from and all of that just sort of is like holy crap, you know, and, and yeah. but that's the important part. And you know, years down the road, people are gonna want to know the same things about, you know, Pine Street Market or Chop Shop, like when you look at it from the rear view mirror, you're like, oh my God, they accomplished so much and look what they did and look how they tied the concepts together and all the help they've done me, you know, but at the time you're dealing with it, you're like, holy crap, like, how am I going to get <laughs> through this? So, yeah. um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned training your managers differently and your employees differently at each location. Um, so sure. how do you differentiate that? Cause I mean, the easiest thing to do would be to train them the same way. That would be the easy road, but you're taking the hard road, which I think is the right road, but explain that a little bit. So at Pine street market, it's, uh, 
the, the, of course, the butchers go through, you know, all the training on the USDA protocol and interacting with our inspectors and, and all the, you know, different ways of butchering. But as far as the retail employees at Pine Street, they're doing a lot of finishing work. So they're, they're um, making hot honey mustard. They're making pâtés and rillettes, um, bacon jam, uh, slicing smoked salmon, making and slicing smoked salmon. Um, all these things that keep them busy every single day when you know you have your slow time um at chop shop they're not in production so you're now like okay let's let's get you so each of the chop shop employees have have done at least one one class at pine street market to to understand just the culture and the reason behind what we're doing and it's easier to have someone join a class of like 12 to 15 people than for me to sit down across the table and just drone on and on so it's better for them to experience it that way. Um, but also with the employees at Chop Shop, we're looking for the creativity of how do you how do you teach the creativity of when we make a panini, I'm not sending you to Publix or Kroger to get cheese or to get spreads. We're using everything in this building to make our sandwiches. So you're using Unicoi preserves, you're using Do South pickles, you're using um some gooey green hill cheese you're using the different meats that we've cooked on the egg because the last thing you want is someone to bite into that sandwich and go what's in this well ma'am if you go to walmart and get their pepper spread you get like no 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 that's not what we're doing so training them to be creative with what's in front of them which is not a thing that you have to do at pine street so it's it's that it's um it's a little bit more difficult with them with customers because all the customers are fairly new a lot of people have shopped with probably both Pine Street and Riverview and open air farmers markets, but we're in a, a very dense uh, part of Midtown with a, a customers we haven't reached before. So it's being able to talk with them about, you know, what is bacon jam? How do you use it? And, and then demonstrate, you know, how to properly cook a pork chop and all these things, which is not, it's something we kind of take for granted at Pine Street. So tell me a little bit, we've talked about bacon jam before, um, and I want to segue into it because I think it's such an outstanding product that you have. Thank you. Um, tell me a little bit about how, what are the different uses of bacon jam? Because I think it's a little segue side conversation that I think is pretty cool. So the, to back up, um, the recipe development at Pine Street isn't just going to be like, hey, let's, um, let's source a, a piece of lamb to make lamb merguez. Like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. So Things like the bacon jam, the beef butter, uh, bacon burger, um, head cheese are all part of whole animal usage and whole product usage. So the, the best example is that bacon jam. So when we, we square off the bellies after we smoke them, you, you trim them up and those first couple slices or last couple slices that are, are irregular uh, get ground up with uh, onions and garlic and spices like cumin and smoked paprika. Um, and then cooked with uh, a little bit of molasses and cider vinegar to give that spreadable quality, like a almost like a preserve. Um, we use it. We'll mix it with our bone broth for uh, like braising kale and collards. Um, put it on a cracker. Put it on a piece of cheese. Spread it on a, a cooked chicken breast. It's got just a lot of versatility to it. I love that, and and this is a great example. And I love that we're, we you took it full circle there, which is using the whole animal. And there you have this successful product 
that you know is that flavor of Georgia that has just done so well, and it was sort of something that you came up with um, because you needed to use things that were normally going to go to waste. Right. And, so it's not ahead. just from a cost perspective. Well, it's it's interesting because it is part of small business that you that, you know you you either pay for something to go into a trash can and get hauled away, so you've not only lost money but you've now paid someone to take it away, or you figure out how to make it profitable. And then it's that same crossover with that whole animal and whole product utilization that you you don't want to waste anything. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it encourages creativity also, like we talked about earlier. So you're trying to get creative with the things that you have. So it's encouraging the creativity. And then the other part of it is the interesting thing that happens, particularly in food and beverage. And I, and I talk about this a lot on podcasts and I can't emphasize it enough because it's true in our own business is, um, is that when you start off your business and you go with your initial product and purpose, yes, you want to be dedicated to that, but you don't want to stay so true to it that you don't find opportunities in other products to expand your product line because right. opportunities, oddly in food, it's usually not the first items you've created that become the most popular or successful. It's sort of years down the road, right. in yeah. sometimes even decades, that become these really popular items because you were pivoting or learning. And that doesn't mean your original product isn't still there. It's just you've adapted and evolved and been willing to be creative and something happens and I don't know what it is, whether it's 10,000 hours or you finally figure out something that works or in your case, you didn't want to waste something, but it forces us to be creative and create new product lines, which I think is cool. And not only have you created new product lines, but it's even got you so creative that you've taken the next step in a partnership with Riverview Farms to create the chop shop. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny too, because it took me, it took me several years to realize I'm not my customer. I'm not, I'm not the person I'm going after for the sale. So I, I, it, it took me re- having that aha moment of that to say, okay, um, I would, I would never want to spend that much money on steak or chicken at the register. But the second that we started selling it, they, they sell great because people understand the value of it and understand the reasoning behind it. And I also, being so close to the cab farmer's market, I'm like, no one's going to want to buy sausage from us. And now sausage is our biggest seller next to bacon. And it really took realizing that, wait a second, I keep running things through the filter of what do I want? And and like that, that there are certain products that um, that we make that, that I wouldn't eat. And that has absolutely nothing with, to do with the reason that we make it. That's a personal flavor, you know, choice. But understanding that I'm not my customer. So it, it, it took having that aha moment to wake up and listen to our regulars. And they're like, Hey, why don't you carry a larger selection of cheese? Or, you know, we really want some crackers. And you're like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not just going to go buy some Triscuits or something. And then luckily we discovered Georgia sourdough was um, at the markets with us. And I think makes the best cracker in the world, but, um, and crackers sell like crazy now. And you're like, it's so funny to look back and think, I don't want to, I wouldn't pay that much for a steak, so I'm not going to sell it. And now they sell like crazy. And you're like, why did I get in my own way? Like, you're just, I guess it's just that natural filter that you apply to things. And you're like, well, you know, I don't like this, so why would I sell it? And so it, it really took breaking that that filter to really open up and, 
And the, the best, the best way to learn on what you should do in business is listen to your good customers and really take the time when they come in to be like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, you know, what do you think of this? You know, are there any, you know, you have any thoughts on that? And it's, you're going to occasionally get that one customer that's just like, what if you made this bizarre product from this bizarre land? And you're like, okay, it's not a good idea. But, uh, you, you will like develop just like listening to people and listening to people want more options than ribeyes in New York's and filet mignon. They want more options than chicken breasts. They, and listening to that and being like, you, you guys will support this. This is a crazy, this is awesome. And so that really has helped with our growth of our product lines. Yeah. And, um, there's two things out of there I want to talk about a little bit. Um, the first is, um, listening to your customers and the perception because we often get so caught up in price as business owners because we're always like we're trying to save a dollar and we're trying to be profitable and we're like everyone else must think this way and so we get into this race to the bottom as i call it everyone's always trying to make their product cheaper so more people buy it but if you truly provide value to it which is what you're doing you're you're they're high quality products number one so that's value number two is you're adding in the education the cards the the relationship with them and the knowledge to go along with it so people are willing to pay for it the other part that i love the second part is you're focused on not just getting the product in the door the easiest way like going to one broadliner and getting all your products from them that you need. You're going out, you said do South Pickles and, you know, uh, Georgia Sourdough. And I can't remember the other ones you mentioned earlier, but you're going out into the community, into other Georgia grown, and you're getting high quality, great products that match your same vision which happens to be the things that are working for your customers. So you're finding other like-minded individuals and like-minded products to complement your existing business to accelerate your business forward and obviously make more money because you have more things to to add. But putting a Triscuit in a high-end meat market would not be a good thing. It's a confusing message. And I think often people just try to get the highest profit item in the door and they miss the fact of why their customers are actually there, to your point. Right. And it, I mean, and then the value add of now working with these, these small local companies, if, if I went and bought Triscuits, the makers of Triscuit aren't going to be like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let's, let's promote this company carrying our product. But working with these people that are as passionate at their, their craft as I am with mine. And they're like, Hey, that's so cool. Like our crackers and preserves or cheeses or whatever are at your shop. And what, to a much larger company would look like a small sale to this company is a substantial sale. And so it really just gets the community excited and it just keeps adding and adding and keeping that wheel moving forward. Yeah. And um, people don't see that either. The most important thing in, uh, yes, do, do you want a product line? I create, you know, I'm going to use bacon jam just cause that's what we're talking about. And it's great if it goes into Walmart, don't get me wrong. You know, it's like I'm right. excelling at that, but it's not going to happen off the bat. You know what I mean? So in order to do that, you need to align yourself with similar businesses that complement your businesses, you know, and that's what you're doing. So you're raising your level of business while raising their level of business and you're doing it together. 
and uh, like you said, cross-promoting each other. But the thing that happens is as you grow, you prepare for that big leap into a convenience store or a grocery store or a box store or whatever it is or online sales if they really take off. You know, it's like, you know, to bite it off in one shoe, no one's ever prepared, you know, in one bite. You've got to take the steps necessary and you've got to align yourself to the right parties of people that think the same way. And people don't know this either, but one of the things that happens is, you know, in our case that we do a lot of co-packing, but when a company like a Walmart or a Target comes to us, they're looking for a certain level of product that meets their standards. And Mm -hmm. when we have someone that we bring forward and that person may work with a lot of other people for whatever reason through the conversations and the relationships those people have with similar minded business they're going into walmart because walmart wants that standard of business or that level of bacon jam for example in this case since we're talking about it and they have the ability to talk about it and then they attract in those other customers purely by yeah. relationships and energy. And it's an interesting thing that happened. People think it's sell, sell, sell to get in there. But what happens is usually if you do it right like you're doing, someone gets in there and then the curiosity begins and through conversations and stuff, the next introductions are made because the first person built trust and the right. first person that built trust already has trusting relationships with people that are like-minded and do similar products in terms of quality and uh customer base so it um you know it's an important thing you're always better together than you are alone for sure absolutely yeah and so lastly um rusty as we begin to like close this up something that we're we're talking a lot about is leadership and Mm -hmm. and you know ideals and and what the ideal leader would be because you're obviously leading your companies forward so talk to me about some of the things that you feel are important for a leader to have in business as they're growing their business as you have. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, we, we spent quite a bit of time on this on the, the last podcast together about how it was probably year five when I realized all of my managerial experience leading up to this point was in fine dining restaurants with the old French method of lead by fear and lead lead by power and i had probably the first five years of pine street i was a jerk and i'm really embarrassed on how i led my company and it took um it took kind of working with some um my uh, all my butchers now uh two of them have been there almost six years and so they've been there ever since i went through this aha moment and Leading up to that, I couldn't keep a butcher longer than like eight months because it just was not a good work environment. I I needed to to stop. So that fear that I was putting into them was really coming from within me and my fear of failure, my fear of what if I leave the room and this this product fails or then you have that lens on and you're looking for mistakes. So you're like, you know, Carl over there just dropped a piece of bacon. He clearly doesn't care. Wow. I'm going to go yell at him. But now like, Hey, Carl, what happened? Why'd you drop that piece of bacon? I'm so sorry. I'm trying to carry it this way. No, no, no. You got to carry it this way. Oh, okay. And it's now solved and he feels empowered. Um, it's encouraging the staff now is what I've learned. Um, I'm really big on, we can all try one of our new products in a sterile environment. No, I want to give it to you to take home 
to brag in front of your family so you can like have a moment of like look what i created and it's it's respecting the employee um joking with them on a very like dad g-rated level um growing up in kitchens and just seeing that that mishandling of of uh relationships and that blurred line of of dating and working together that doesn't happen it's uh you know your joke is like hey uh oh you know you sure look silly today like nothing you know too profound or over the top um but i think the biggest thing is understanding each employee is different and working with them uh right now we are developing systems because uh in order, if I want to leave the building and, you know, have my delivery guy be able to jump behind the counter or my shipping guy run and make a delivery, I have to have these systems in place and understanding that everybody learns different and everybody is different. So these systems contain photos and descriptions and trying to, you know, hit different levels of learning. And everyone, every one of these has a three ring binder on how to do it. Um, that way the employee is empowered. They're, they're designing it. It's a living document. So they're making updates of their department. Um, it's actually something we're working on today and tomorrow. Um, but I, I think it, look, I'm rambling, but uh, I think it's the uh, empowering the employee and respecting them and understanding that choosing to work for small businesses like mine, you're, you're already taking a trust fall. And so they're there because they want to do a good job. They're not there for a quick, easy paycheck, they would have chosen a more corporate setting to where you can kind of get lost in the shuffle and really celebrating their differences and empowering them any way that I can, I think is, is the appropriate way to lead. No, I agree with that 100%. And the thing that I think is so important is we don't realize this. We think that we hear something or, or we, we do something and we can change it. What happened was you were actually dedicated to your business over a five-year period. And during that five-year period, you learned through things that had something change in your life. But it wasn't that it suddenly changed. It was all the experiences the five years before and the perseverance right. to keep moving forward. And then, one, and then once you figured it out, you were able to adjust. But it wasn't like you gave up or this isn't the right business because I can't get the employees to do what I want. It was actually sticking through it, the dedication to your business, the in some ways understanding that nothing good, great happens overnight. It takes long work and stuff like that. And I want the audience to just see that as entrepreneurs that it takes a long time for us to gain experience in things, you know, oh, in yeah. leadership, in management, in the products, in anything to get it launched off the ground. This is not something I create my product today. I launch it tomorrow. Like R&D aside, finding space if you're doing a restaurant, writing menus, finding the right people, getting the money together. It takes time and there's a reason it takes time because we need to learn the lessons for ourselves. And right. we want someone else to teach it to us. But you know, in my own experience, it didn't matter how much someone taught it to me maybe they planted a seed where like seven years later i'm like oh now i get why they said that and don't get me wrong i think people should be mentored and given advice and and people will listen to those things but there's just certain things like managing people and understanding people that you really just have to go to do it no one can really tell you how to do it Um, right and if if we took the time and i I was talking about this the other day with the, the general manager at chop shop that um he had he had 
gotten in the way of a successful thing and it, it was his fault. And it was just like, he was kind of beating himself up. And I go, look, if, if we took the time to be perfect at our craft and for us entrepreneurs running a company, if we took the time to be perfect in all aspects of running the company, I still wouldn't be open. Like yeah. I would still be trying to figure that out. Like it is understanding that, that we are going to make some, some, um, eyebrow raising mistakes along the way that we look back on and it looks horrendous, but it shaped, you know, the moment that we're in right now. And so it, it is that growth and it's, you know, sometimes it, it takes five years and sometimes it may take 14, 15, but, um, it, you'll get there and you, you will, you know, prosper and learn and, and understand and grow along the way. I think it's incredibly important um, in that we as human beings think are hard on ourselves when we make a mistake, but we make way more mistakes than we don't. And right. they don't need to be mistakes if we learn from them and they don't repeat themselves. So, you know, I don't want someone to fail, but the fact that they have or I know they're willing to and then learn from it is so much more attractive to me as an employee or as a manager or as even a business partner than someone who thinks they never do any wrong or a person who wants to be perfect all the time. Because the per the seeking of perfection, while you want to perfect a skill or you want to make progress, trying to be perfect in and of itself limits your ability to actually learn from it. So... Um, if you're learning to try to get perfect a skill, knowing that you'll never be perfect, but you can always make progress towards that perfection is different than trying to be perfect in the moment. Well, absolutely. And I was, I was training one of the, uh, the retail people at Pine street, how to do, a, a certain cut that they have never done before. And he royally screwed it up and ruined the piece of meat. And he was being really hard on himself. And I was like, look, this is the entire reason we're training right now. Wouldn't it have been weird if you did this difficult cut perfectly, having never done this before, ever before? Like that would have been the weird thing. Of course, you're going to make a mistake. Of course, starting a business, you're going to fall on your face and have to make some uncomfortable phone calls. It's just going to happen. Like it, it's understanding you, you are going to make mistakes, understanding that sometimes you're the person at fault and just taking it on the chin and not blaming others and, and being at a, a personal teachable moment instead of a screaming at other people and blaming them moment, you're going to grow faster and you're going to understand that, Hey, no one's perfect. And it, it really, we say no one's perfect and just kind of let it wash off. But like, really like soak, soak that in that you're not perfect. You're going to screw up. Just learn from it. Yeah. And it's so true. Um, and I want to just, talk about this too while I have you on the podcast is we talked a little bit about before we got on and um, if you always thought you made a mistake um, I want to finish the other comment and then get into this but if you always thought you were making a mistake and you were going to do it perfectly the first time there wouldn't be much purpose in our lives like the purpose oh, as true. a human being is to constantly grow that's the whole if you know, from the time we're born to the time we die, if we're not constantly growing, we're wasting our life, right? So, you know, that's if we, we have the mindset or I always hear people, I'm too old or I'm too short or right. I'm not skilled in this. Well, you have time. You're not dead. So grow yeah. in whatever direction and take the time to do it now. And every moment is a moment to learn and grow as a human being and have a purpose. And so I think that's just so important and trying to get the 
employees or the managers or the supervisors to see that there's something much bigger than just what you're doing. You're helping people grow. You're growing yourself. You're helping me grow because I didn't know that before. And if you can know that I want to learn also as an entrepreneur, you know, then you're more open to give me information. So I wanted to talk about that, which is hugely important. But the next thing I wanted to quick talk about and, and take this thing full circle is we talked a little bit about Flavor of Georgia and Flavor mm-hmm. Georgia's in April, but you've entered three products, which I assume four. are oh, four products, Yep, four new products. So you've obviously been creative over the last year and trying to develop these <laughs> products. So tell us a little bit about that. So, um, when we first opened uh, Chop Shop, we wanted to have just a standard table mustard on the counter, and we couldn't find a local, uh, locally made um, story behind it kind of mustard to have, uh, just a straight, you know, spreadable yellow mustard. And so Summer, my fiance, and I, um, that weekend, went just uh, Saturday and Sunday, made I think four or five different mustards until we found the right one. And that's our hot honey mustard that we now have. And um, so we've entered that. Um, the other one that that's uh, got a, a well, they all, all four have great stories behind them. But um, <laughs> another one is uh, we've worked hand in hand with beautiful briny sea to develop some spice blends. And uh, we have entered our summer spice. It's our floral. Um, it's uh, roasted shallots, uh, sage and thyme and a little bit of lavender. Um, we've entered that that seasoning in as well uh, and beautiful briny sea has been a lot of fun to work with and kind of developing labels and brands and all we have i think it's five or six different spice blends we now have with them and they all look similar so they look right together but different enough um then the third item is our dry cured brazola which is our uh eye around of beef um and that's featuring beef from joyce farms that's raised here in georgia and processed in north carolina but um, that's cured with juniper and rosemary, and it was a finalist for a Good Food Award in San Francisco uh, last month. And our sweetheart ham won um, a Good Food Award last month, which is kind of cool. Um, but now the fourth item is our all-chicken uh, smoked sausage. So we work a lot with uh, Chef Thomas at the Hyatt Regency. He is the biggest purchaser of Georgia-grown products, um, and I think in Georgia. Um, he, he doesn't do enough, enough to brag about himself, but, uh, even their, um, their employee cafeteria, the, the Hyatt Regency is on a historic site of the civil rights movement. And so his employee cafeteria supports, uh, buys all their ingredients from three local African-American farmers and, uh, through that cafeteria support these farmers. That's awesome. But, um, working with him, he needed uh, a non-pork chicken sausage and he wasn't happy with the commodity one that he was buying. He kind of felt funny about it and it wasn't in line with his ethics. So together we made a, a all Springer mountain chicken sausage and a natural lamb casing. And um, that's the smoked chicken sausage that we've entered. So it's um, sage and black pepper and chilies and a hundred percent chicken and lamb casing. So that one was a lot of fun to develop. I and love all, all those. I'm like drooling yeah. over here. I'm I'm hoping <laughs> they all make it to Flavor Georgia so I can try them all um, as a judge. Yeah, these are but... all all items that we've developed over um, the past year. So it's it's been a I, talking earlier about what you're saying, like with the chefs trying different things so they don't they don't get stagnant, and that's through friendships, through 
working with my fiance through um, coming up with ideas with employees is how I, I break that, you know, in 11 years, I'm not bored. And so it's coming up with talking about the GM of chop shop and breaking down that Chuck role to find different stakes. And that's something that we just started like a week and a half ago and they're selling like crazy. <laughs> and we're going to do more of it tomorrow and dig deeper to find different cuts than we did last week. So that, that shared, you know, love of learning with all of these, you know, beautiful Brian EC, Chef Thomas, Summer, our GM, our retail employees, that love of learning is what keeps me inspired to keep growing. Well, and one of the things I love about what you just said is the in episode 67, we actually talked to S- Susie Sheffield of beautiful yeah. Briny C. And one of the things we talk about in that episode is how she seeks out these partnerships to build her brand and other brands. And mm-hmm. we sort of talk about it on this podcast. And then you mentioned working with her on it. And it's just, it's one of those things that's exactly it. If you partner with people that are like-minded or that can complement your business and you can complement theirs, you're both going to grow. I mean, you can't, you know, it's, everyone thinks it's one plus one equals two in a scenario like this, but it's what actually happens because of the energy in the universe and the energy in that you guys put out is one plus one actually equals three is you're now, you've now got your own product, you've got their product and you've got a third product. So one plus one actually equals three. And so oh, yeah, that, I like that. that's the way it is. And it's the same with Chop Shop for you. It's Riverview Farms plus Pine Street Market 1 plus 1 equals 3, which is the third thing you guys are doing, which is Chop Shop. And, you know, or did I miss that? Riverview Farms plus uh, Pine Street equals yeah. Chop Shop. Right. I don't know if I said that correctly. But it's, um, it's the same idea. And if you think about it that way, it, energy in business and entrepreneurship and customers is not a mathematical equation. While you want to keep track of your finances mathematically, the reality is, is the more partnerships you build, the more people that, you know, are like-minded as you, you become a stronger force and the more energy and the more similar clients you guys right. share or customers. And so that's pretty cool. I love that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and the collaborations always, and also just like, you're not going to just like a music collaboration. You're not going to go take a weak song. I'm not going to take a weak recipe to Susie. Like I now have to up my game as she ups her game to make something even better. Just like with Riverview, like, like we had to bring our best to join together. You don't just bring your mediocre board. You're yeah. now like, Oh, I'm on the toes. Like these collaborations, I, I can't present to chef Thomas, a sausage that I'm not fully excited about. I've got to step it up and make something excellent. So that too, with the collaborations is that what you're creating is, is going to be one of your best. It's not going to just be some offhanded thing. And I love that. And I didn't realize it until you said it, although I guess I knew it subconsciously is it's not only about the creativity you guys create together being both creative, but it's also pushing each other to a higher level. Like you're a sports right. team, you you get better by playing against better individuals, not by right. people that are, are, for lack of a better term, not as skilled as you are or ones that you can beat easily. It's about finding someone that challenges you to that next level, and then you can grow as a person, and they can grow as a person. 
Right. And I think that's, that's pretty amazing. And the beauty of it is as an athlete, you only have so much time being at the top before you wind out, but being in food and beverage or an entrepreneur, you can continue to grow forever if you choose to, right. and you find the right people to consistently challenge you, whether it's a mentor or like we just said, a collaboration. Yeah. So Rusty, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Um, before Absolutely. We- thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. And before we get off, will you just tell people where they can find both Pine Street Market and Chop Shop on social media and on online? Heck yeah. So pinestreetmarket.com uh, is it's our web store. We ship nationally, usually for most regions of Atlanta, if you spend, I mean, of the U.S., if you spend more than $100, it's free shipping. Um, it's also where we have everything about our classes and, um, our monthly butcher box that we create that, uh, we partner with different restaurants or different food producers to produce a monthly box. Um, Facebook is Pine Street Market. Um, uh, Instagram is Pine Street Market. And I think it's Pine Street for Twitter. Chop Shop is, uh, chopshopatl.com. Um, and there's classes on there as well and recipes as well. Um, and then it's Chop Shop ATL on Instagram, and I think it's just Chop Shop on uh, Facebook. But yeah, we're constantly showing beautiful, visual, fun things that we're doing, or people that we love and support, or fun things coming up, or classes, and we we daily are uh, pushing stuff. A good friend of mine said that um, social media is like taking a shower; if you don't do it every day, you stink. Yeah. So we try to constantly have fun stuff up there to keep people engaged and to let them know what's going on. That's awesome. Uh, thank you again, Rusty, and everyone listening in. If you if you like what we did on this podcast, obviously share it with your friends and family, and go check out uh, Pine Street Market and Chop Shop ATL. Um, and go there if you happen to be in the Georgia area. Make a visit. I think that would be awesome. Again, thank you, Rusty, and thank you, everyone, for listening in, and have a great day. Thank you.